I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on the criminalization of hip-hop. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're seeing more and more big-name hip-hop artists getting caught up in serious criminal cases, often involving the possibility of many years behind bars and even forfeiture of their money and their possessions. We're also seeing a much greater um, emphasis and presence of gangs and gang members. So the question we're asking and asking our panel is hip-hop being criminalized or is there just a lot of plain criminal activity? Let's find out what our guests have to say. Joining me is Ralph Salento. He's a former NYPD Lieutenant Commander of Detectives, investigated many high-profile cases. Ralph, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you're also a professor at John Jay College. Correct, yes. Thank you so much. Also with us is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and managing partner at Hamilton Clark LLP. Phil, great to have you with us. Lisa, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Bobby Fisher. He's the vice president of A&R at Empire Records. Bobby, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me again, Lisa. Okay, so Bobby, I'm gonna start with you because you are on the front lines there in the record business, the music industry out there traveling. You see what's happening all around the country. Why do you think we're seeing so many cases like this of hip hop artists getting caught up in, and not just the up and coming ones who may still have been close to the streets, but people that have really been successful for almost a decade? Uh, I mean, I think obviously the, uh, the glorification of social media has kind of intensified things. So, you know, you know, compared to even 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or even even five years ago, the, the informational highway is, is at a fast pace. So obviously, you know, ne negative things sometimes get a, a news headline a little bit more than the positive things. So we're just dealing with the informational highway where things are just being intensified times 10 when it comes to, you know, alleged situations where, you know, criminal activity could be involved. Phil, why do you think we're seeing so many of these cases? I think we're seeing so many of these cases just because when you think back to, let's just start with 2020, a lot of the gun violence that we've seen, a lot of just that pandemic infused violence, I think has been the precursor to a lot of these investigations going on. I think also a lot of when we talk about what happened with the pandemic, so much went virtual. There was so much more online in terms of social media, in terms of the internet. And I think that it gave investigators almost a leg up in regards to investigations that maybe they already had going on, but certainly also helped them in regards to commencing investigations because you had a lot of the evidence, you had a lot of the underpinnings of these offenses just out there for everybody to see, for everybody to read. And a lot of these people had no qualms with putting it out there that were being investigated. So I think that in many respects is a large part of why we're seeing these investigations right now, Lisa. Ralph, you think that a, that a lot of these cases, that this whole phenomenon is nothing new. Why do you say that? Well, let's not forget that uh, the federal government targeting uh, music acts is, is certainly not new, right? It dates all the way back to the 50s where Elvis Presley got involved in that. And then after that, they went after Nat King Cole and Duke Ellington for communism and then Jimi Hendrix after that. And when you move into the 80s, it was uh, Twisted Sister and Two Live Crew and NWA where, you know, remember that D. Snyder from Twisted Sister testified in a congressional hearing and said that uh, the interpretation of lyrics leads to little more than character assassination. And that was from his congressional testimony. And I think as we go on and further on through time, I agree with uh, Bobby and Phil both that the technology today is far superior. And here's the other thing. 
is that this is kind of a, a, a weird paradox for rappers, right? Like they need to rely on social media and YouTube and things like this to, to get their product out there. But at the same time, right, this is the this is the the hand that bites is they're they're using that to get out there. But then the, the federal government is also using it, right, in order to enhance prosecutorial cases. Now, it's interesting that uh, the New York State uh, Senate just passed today the law that attempts to limit uh, what prosecutors can use lyrically uh, in uh, prosecutions. Now, it doesn't forbid it, and it hasn't been signed into law yet, but it doesn't forbid it. But what it does is seriously right. limit and it, that, where and a prosecutor a- now has to show real cause about why these lyrics uh, should be admitted into no, evidence. No, and, and we're going to get into the lyrics, but I want to just get into stay, stay for a moment just more, further on the this the widespread issue so bobby this the the social media do you think this is really at the crux of all of this because they need the artists need the social media for the fans for the views for the clout and all of that and to and to to get streams for their music but by the same token a lot of them are as phil said are 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 pretty reckless about what they're putting out there absolutely i mean it's you know it's, it's it's very easy you have to be mindful for artists you have to be mindful of what you post I mean, you know, sometimes we, we we often forget on on things that can be very impressionable for you know for the public and for the kids out there, and you know, and and if you are posting something that's that that's questionable, that can probably put yourself in trouble. You have to be careful. I mean, it, you know, things that you post is one thing, but it can also happen for direct messages as well. It's easy for law enforcement or investigative you know um, agency to to get a subpoena and and go through your messages. I think that's what happened to Casanova. You know. You know, um, you know, I I only know Casanova for music, but it can it can it can dwell into different you know deep areas if you don't know what you're doing. A lot of things. All right. When we come back, we'll get into the whole case, some of the prominent cases that we've been hearing about: Young Thug, Gunna, Casanova, the guilty plea on a big federal case. That's all. Co- when we come back, stay with us. Yo, what up? This your homie Ace Hood, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about hip hop and crime, specifically gang activity. What are we talking about here? Is hip hop being criminalized or is there just a lot of crime, period? Joining me for this conversation is Ralph Salento. He's a former NYPD Lieutenant Commander of Detectives. He's also a professor at John Jay College. Ralph, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. We appreciate it. Also joining us is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and managing partner at Hamilton Clark LLP. Phil, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Bobby Fisher. He's the vice president of A&R at Empire Records. Bobby, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me, Lisa. We, we appreciate it. Ralph, when you look at these cases, you, let, let's just talk about the Young Thug case and the and Gunna, which shocked a lot of people, the, these indictments that basically saying that their YSL um, music collective is actually a gang, a very active gang. What did you think of that case? Well, I think certainly the evidence would have to be there to support that. I mean, uh, the technology allows uh, subpoenas of social media and cell phones. And, you know, people have to remember that no matter where you go, no matter what you do today, you leave an electronic footprint everywhere. So uh, I'm sure that if they created a case like this, Uh, Don't forget the crimes exist first, and then uh, these people are mentioned and investigated. So uh, I think that there would have to be a case that would have to be built. 
Uh, I'm sure that if the uh, prosecuting attorney uh, brings charges like this, I'm sure they have a timeline and uh, ample electronic evidence, uh, along with uh, some eyewitness testimony, probably. Phil, in terms of the Young Thug and Gunner case, 28, 28 people, in, uh, people indicted, all of these different charges. It's a state RICO case. So that gave, gave them, explain what that means for us, because we, we keep hearing it's a RICO case. Oh, yeah, it's a RICO case. Some people know, but what, what does that really mean? I mean, just breaking it all the way down, Lisa, what it boils down to, whether it's at the state level or whether it's at the federal level, you're dealing with a racketeering case. You're dealing with a case, whether it's either it's the state government or the federal government, that's ultimately trying to break up what they are alleging to be a criminal enterprise, a criminal organization, a la when we think back to the 80s and the mob, or when we think about some of the other you know, big gangs, the MS-13s, whomever, to the extent that the government alleges you to be involved in an enterprise that at its core involves criminal activity, they can, what typically will be done either at the state or federal level, is implement these RICO laws, which allow the state to basically charge one within the organization with the overt acts and criminal activity of others. So if you are the rental car, you're the rent, you're the guy that rents the car for all. Like, like in the young thug, like in the I'm sorry to cut you off, but like in the young thug case, the prosecutors allege that he paid for the rental car that was used in this drive-by shooting. They killed somebody. Go. There you go, Lisa. So to the extent that you financed the rental car or it was in your name, even if you didn't ultimately pull the trigger, you can be charged with it because you were a part of the organization and helped in your overt acts to allow that criminal activity to occur. And that catches a lot of people up because they say, hey, I'm getting arrested for this. I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't even know ultimately what they were going to do. But to the extent that you know that they needed to rent a car for some gang related activity, right, or some activity that all of you were doing collectively together, you can be charged with it. You can be convicted of it. So it really goes to the point of sometimes watching the company that you keep particularly if you're not in the hardcore aspects of a criminal organization, just being affiliated in many respects can end up getting you a lot of time. And, the, and that point you raised, the company you keep. Bobby, what about this? Is this like guilt by association? But help us understand, because a lot of people feel, all right, we understand you're young, you're, you're on the streets, you're hustling, whatever. Then you get some hit records. You start to have a real music career and really pursue that. But there's not really, it doesn't seem to be a sharp line between the streets and then also making music is, is are these cases do you feel uh guilt by association uh it's, it's almost like the old saying our grandmother used to say one one bad apple spoils the bunch a little bit so right. you know i i think intently you know obviously from the record side i think artists you know main goal is to you know one be the best art, recording artist they can be one not leave their friends and family and loved ones behind put them in a position of you know uh doing things legit and, and help building the brand I think that's the goal. Um, I think at times where these situations happen and do occur is that we're starting to run into problems where, you know, think, you know, th crimes are being accused of and artists have to prove to themselves in the court of law that they're not involved in criminal activity. And so it's definitely an unfortunate situation and, and artists have to constantly, it's not just one time, it's all the time to be a reminder of understanding of, of the people that you keep around, make sure everyone's on the up and up because they can, it takes a lifetime to build a brand, but it could take a second to destroy it. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and speaking of brands, Ralph, we, we all we all know. I mean, this is just this is just facts and the the way it is and human nature and the way the the, the media machine works too. 
a high profile rappers, hip hop artists in particular have millions. The, the successful ones have millions and millions of followers. There's there. They instantly sell, you know, they get, they get looks on newspaper sites, they get TV, there's videos of them already. So you don't even have to go and, and shoot a story from a TV perspective, a prosecutor, a detectives, investigators, agents, whatever, looking into these cases, when they have a high profile case like that, what does that do to their career? Well, I mean, there's no doubt it's good for their career. I mean, look what it did for Rudy Giuliani when he took down the mob. I mean, that, he was all about that. And that was, that was really before any social media at all. Right. You know, the thing is that I, I think, I think all of us on this panel, we all seem to be saying the same thing. And that is that it's great that these guys get out, so to speak, and they, and they, and they have records and they're doing great. But the problem is any of the criminal conduct that they did when they were younger, right. Without passing judgment, if they did what they did on the street to get money, to finance, uh, uh, recording these songs, to finance studio time, that's all great, but that conduct doesn't go away. And some of those ties, some of those uh, ties really bind hard. They're bound. It's hard to walk away from people that you've known your whole life. So uh, I'm not even uh, opining about whether or not they want to get away from it or they want to stay in it. The fact is those ties are really tough to cut. And uh, the crimes that you committed uh, back in the day where you, you expect a little latitude on, that's just not the way the federal government sees it. And uh, crimes like murder have no statute of limitations. That, let, let me ask Phil to weigh in on that. Phil, what, what about that? Because we hear, like we see in the movies and TV shows and stuff, sometimes they'll be like, all right, these federal cases, you're never quite, you're never really like cleared once you're involved. And then you're always kind of, you're in this gray area, even after you do your time of what, what they can look at and what can be what can be done? How how serious are these things? They are serious. And I think if I were to give one distinction between typically when I see, you know, federal RICO matters as compared to state matters, the feds really don't have an issue with sitting around for three, four, five years, right? Letting all different kinds of crimes and other criminal activity occur within that time frame. Because what it allows them to do, particularly with the resources they have, whether they're utilizing the FBI, the ATF, or whatever federal agency within the investigation, is they are taking that time to present a slam dunk case. I mean, when Ralph brings up, you know, the whole situation with Giuliani, I think that was the one of the bigger distinctions when, you know, the U.S. Attorney's Office that he was running at the time, you know, took the matter over from state prosecutors. They don't have an issue with sitting around and being patient. Sometimes with the state investigations, you know, the state's running out there because, you know, maybe to Ralph, the point Ralph alluded to, state prosecutors are trying to make their names or, you know, they just want to hurry up and get this case solved before, you know, witnesses go away, what have you. The feds just have ways around that. And when now, they Phil, on a case. Now, Phil, think about that. And on top of that, lay in the Loctite technology that's available today. Nah. I mean, it's a it's a it's really a <laughs> recipe for disaster for anybody involved in criminal rackets. You, you feel you just said they can sit around and wait and they do. And now they're sitting around and waiting while they're surveilling, they're phone tapping, they're doing subpoenas. By the time they by the time they swing the hammer, it's a slam dunk. By the Bobby, time what we get the indictment, what are we doing almost, right? Like we're defending hardcore, but there's just so much in there that right. you're just not going to escape those charges a lot of times the way that maybe you can at the state level. 
Bobby, let me ask you this, because while, while we're like fans, you know, like an American, not just hip hop, but also American culture too. like crime is a big subject matter. We love the bad guys, you know, in terms of movies and films and TVs, the, the, the street that's tough street talk is what people like in a lot of a lot of rap music. But then what do these what do criminal charges like this do in terms of a person's career? You look at you look at Young Thug you know, three billboard number one hits. You look at what happened, happened to Casanova. He, he just seemed to really be gaining that groundswell with that hit song and the world tour and all of that. And, and then this, this happens, do they ever fully recover after something like this in terms of their careers? It, it all depends. I mean, if you, you know, obviously if someone's spending a significant amount of time in, in prison, um, it, you know, it can take away from your status in the music industry. I mean, I think we're, we're lucky to see a Bobby Smyrna or a Roddy Rebel recover from, you know, they were going away for seven years. You know, the first artist that we actually seen actually that actually got real time was probably a, a Tupac Shakur was probably the most polarizing f- figure over 20 years ago that kind of went away and came back. It all depends. I mean, I, everyone says that, you know, all press is good press. Um, I, I just don't advocate of, you know, prison time period. I think, you know, it takes away from your loved ones, but as far as the impact and the music, it's it's kind of a, a pendulum swing. You don't know if it's going to help propel your career because people are anticipating you coming home, or it could take away because you're not you're not actively releasing music and you're not actively you know touring and pursuing a professional uh, recording career. Being a touring artist, it can hurt you. So uh, I, I I I honestly, it all depends on the artist. It depends on the fan base. It depends on the support system that he has around the artist, he or she, to see if if it survives or not. All right. Coming up, we're going to find out from our panel, what is self-snitching and why is that getting so many artists in trouble? We'll find out when we come back. Yeah, yeah. What up, what up, what up? This is Styles P, the Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about hip-hop and crime. Is hip-hop as a culture, are artists being criminalized, or is there just a lot of criminal activity going on? Joining me for this conversation is Ralph Salento. He's a former NYPD Lieutenant Commander of Detectives and also a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Ralph, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and managing partner at Hamilton Clark LLP. Phil, great to have you with us. Having me, Lisa. Thank you. Also joining us is Bobby Fisher. He's vice president of A&R at Empire Records. Bobby, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you. Bobby, do you think artists, especially the, the up and coming ones, understand that when they put something on social media, whether it's a TikTok or an Instagram or wherever, that that is basically like putting their business on the street. I don't think they know initially in the beginning. They feel like if it's coming from them, it's self-expression. They believe it's not telling on themselves, but inadvertently you are. Um, and you, like I always say, you always have to be mindful of what you post because it can leave a lasting impression impression on you. So I, I don't think they initially know in the beginning, but if they start to understand the ramifications of what's happening to other artists and they see, you know, you know, especially in Georgia, they're saying they were monitoring social media. It, 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 it can it can uh, it can uh, it can put you in a bad situation if you if you're not using it correctly. Phil, is it hard to defend a case when there's an electronic trail of DMs and, and phone messages and text messages? It's. 
it, it, it can be hard, but it, look, I, I've litigated these matters where we're dealing both with the text messages and phone records. I've also litigated the matters where we're dealing with, you know, implicit assertions and, you know, admissions via social media, right? I, I, I've dealt with both. And, and what I would say in terms of the, the difficulty, it, it can be difficult because sometimes like it lines up directly with where the state or the feds are trying to take the case. There are other times where it can be a bit more circumstantial, but even in those situations where like it's wholly circumstantial and, you know, as Ralph noted, you know, earlier, you can go into the case with a good fight because it's a bit weak, still going through the process of like going to trial and the risk that are attendant with that. I don't advise it for anyone, particularly depending on what jurisdiction are you in? Are you trying this case in the Bronx? Are you trying this case in Staten Island? Are you trying this case in the Southern District? Where are you? Are you in White Plains or are you down in Manhattan? What's your jury pool? It's a little bit harder sometimes when it comes to the rap lyrics or the admissions on social media to put across to jurors who don't understand the culture or the language or what's being said in the text messages that this is still nevertheless innocent behavior. It's part of the arts. Whereas you have other juries and you know, demographics within certain counties or jurisdictions that are gonna understand that. But I don't advise any client to put themselves in a position to where we have to fight it at trial. Because even if we can win, it's never a guarantee. And what can be a better guarantee is just watch what you say and watch what you put out there. Ralph, what, what do you say to people who, who, who believe, well, that you know, a, a lot, in a lot of these cases, they're basically handling, handing a case to the prosecutors on a silver platter? or even the detectives, because there's evidence, they're bragging about stuff, they're talking about stuff. What Again, do you, what do you say the, to that? This is the duplicity, right? This is the Pandora's box we're in, because a lot of times art imitates life, and a lot of times it doesn't. There are several, several thousand songs out there where the lyrics are just the lyrics, and uh, they're open to interpretation. And there are several songs out there, like, for instance, right now, Jacksonville, Florida has a case uh, where a rapper is suspected of doing uh, a tr- at least being involved in a triple homicide. So short time after that, he released a song where he basically spells out how the murder occurred. And then he names the three victims by name. I mean, so the Jacksonville Police Department right now in Florida has a special team and their sole function is to monitor up and coming rap videos. And so a lot of times you're right. I think these guys tell on themselves I know I could speak from personal experience that I've closed at least three homicides by uh, an, an aggress- aggressively monitoring social media and then having that evidence admitted into trial. So uh, I think both things are happening. I think guys do are reckless about doing it. You know, I also think a lot of times uh, they're, they're speaking from the first person. Uh, they, they grew up in this neighborhood. They grew up around drug violence. So whether they're talking about it in the first person or they're talking about what they've seen. Uh, you know, these guys are artists, they're musicians, they're writing about what they know. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times it, it gets wrapped up in the same. Uh, and so this is where uh, Phil's job, Philip's job comes in, you know, is, is it lyrical expression or am I really confessing to something that I did? I mean, it, it's certainly, and, and we should be honest with each other and, and not talk but no, about- No, let's be, let's be honest. Let's talk yeah, about we shouldn't, it. Yeah, we shouldn't talk about like these cases are coming out of left field. I mean, several rappers that we know and love, some of the biggest names in rap are unabashed about, are, they're, they're unashamed 
about how they came up from the streets and they were former right. drug dealers. And it's to their credit that they and it's to their credit that they evolved and were able to put that behind because a psychologist like Dr. Jeff Gardier, who's on Street Soldiers many times, he says that when you like if you are a child and you're witnessing gun violence and it's happening on a daily basis in your neighborhood or to people you know or associate or identify with, that that can have a numbing effect on you and you start to feel like this is just normal and this is just the way that everything is. Right. And we're talking about things that uh, everyone on this panel knows and everyone listening to your show right now knows that musicians write about what they know. I mean, uh, there are many documented interviews with Eminem where he wrote about what, what, what a terrible childhood he had. And a lot of that came out in his songs. Biggie Smalls did it. I right. mean, just everybody. And it, it's, it's not only rap. Uh, rock musicians write about what they know. Bob Marley wrote about what he grew up with. Right. So, uh, you know, the question is, are we, are, are they really confessing? And, and that's going to be litigable. And, that's and, gonna be the- and, and it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost down to just to add on, it's almost a slippery slope. If, even if you're looking at the gun and thug situation, especially with some of the headlines with gunner, like they were generalizing certain lyrics, applying it to a criminal organization, to certain rap lines, slippery slope. Do we know where they recorded the lyrics at? Were they in the, in the state of Georgia? I know some right. of these artists live in different right. places. Well, so if you if I live if I don't live in the state that I am, and I'm and I'm I have an expressive song about where I come from, so the state that I grew up in is going to be used against me, or it's going to be analyzed. Um, I, Lisa, just to add on, I I give you a perfect example. I have an artist that signed the Empire um, by the name of uh, Coinface, and I, I I could publicly speak speak about it. He didn't do anything wrong. He did a freestyle for a radio station, uh, YouTube. London, uh, the London police analyzed his lyrics and gave a YouTube strike to a New York radio station for his freestyle. So if, you know, the U.S. is one thing, but you'll be surprised at what's happening in other countries and how they're monitoring um, lyrics. And, um, you know, obviously we have our First and Second Amendment. It's way different in other countries. So... It's it's a slippery slope, you know. Um, I just feel like when it comes to artists, especially rap lyrics, I think everything is being taken a hundred percent true, and nothing's being expressive. But obviously, if it's a novelist, if it's a movie director, anything like that is, you know, it's it's purely fiction. So they're given in a different path. Bobby, what do you what do you think about that though? Do you do you think? I mean, Ralph cited going back to Twisted Sister to these heavy metal groups and Elvis Presley and all of these these other uh, other types of music acts, but it seems like, it, it just seems like with hip hop and with rap, and I guess maybe, maybe you could say because it's the, the number one most streamed form of music in the world, there's just a lot of scrutiny and a lot of attention in general. But do you think, right. what do you think in terms of images of young black men? What, what is it doing to that? Um, I think we need balance. I mean, I think as an executive, as, as a fan, as someone who's been a fan of hip hop since I was born, um, we just need balance. I mean. Everything has everything does have to be all one way. You know, I think we as as a duty of being a record exec, you know, our goal is to make sure we show different spectrums of, of hip hop and it's not just one thing. And I don't think we should just glorify or or put on a on a press table just one aspect of hip hop. I mean, I think, you know, throughout the history of hip hop, against the rap, you had conscious rap, you had storytelling rap. Um, I just think that. Yes. Um, when, when we start seeing signs of success, successful artists, artists themselves have to just a little bit more mindful and just understand that the content that you put out could be scrutinized. That doesn't mean that, hey, if you put this content out, you shouldn't be 
criticized for it. Um, it just it just comes with the territory. And I think artists just has to have some sort of responsibility and understand, hey, look, when the lights are off, when the lights are on and, you're, you know, the lights are off, excuse me, and you're not an artist anymore, how do you conduct yourself, you know, as a productive member of society? You know, no one's above the law. We, we understand that. And I think we're just starting to see these circumstances of artists going through, you know, these trials and tribulations. But we've seen this before, but we haven't seen it to this magnitude ever in, in American Hey, history. Bobby, you, you remember way back, right, with NWA and like Absolutely. Two Live Crew? Yeah. Right? But those were censorship issues, not really criminal issues, criminal, right? right? Right. But so, then so then it's obviously, a little bit different. But, you know, NWA and Two Live Crew, I mean, they had a hard way to go for a long time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that was a, a big But remember, even the, the, the C. Dolores Tucker and uh, uh, Calvin right, Butts. Right, but the, there, there's yeah. the lyrics, but there's also like, like Phil, the Young Thug case. There was a man that was shot and killed. They shot at him like more than 70 times. Hmm. Used the, the car used in the drive-by was allegedly rented by, allegedly re- rented by Young Thug. And there's the, this whole issue of saying that, you know, Young Slime Life is not a record collective, that it's actually a criminal gang affiliated with the Bloods. What do prosecutors have to do in order to prove that? I mean, what everything we've talked about thus far with respect to the text messages, with respect to the surveillance, with respect to listening to the lyrics, they basically put all of this into a recipe for success on proving their burden, which is beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think that, you know, to the extent that everyone is helping them meet their burden by at times, like Bobby's saying, putting stuff out there without either necessarily critically thinking about what am I putting out there and how could it be used against me? Or, you know, also, Bobby, as you noted, things happening in the dark. I think you mentioned the grandmother quote earlier. I'm going to give you one from mine. What she used to always say was everything that happens in the dark will come to light. And what I have found doing, you know, this criminal defense work for the last 13 years <laughs> is within our system. That is certainly true, right? <laughs> things that you never think could ultimately pop up or people that you never think would tell about things that you did five, six years ago. Well, I've been in those rooms watching people tell on people that, that presume would never be told upon. Because at times when you are in a position and I've seen it where you're facing the hammer of, you know, the federal government or even the state government at times. Some people can take that exposure and the risk that come with it, and some can't. And that's at times when these activities that happen in the dark come to light because people tell. And it's like you really got to watch who you're affiliated with, what those people are doing, and whether or not you can trust those people to actually keep your secrets an actual secret. Ralph, what do you think about that? Do people keep secrets? Well, in in the past, uh, Phil is absolutely right. People are going to come out of the woodwork. But in the past, uh, prosecutorial speaking, it was always down to he said, she said. Now somebody comes out of the woodwork three years later and there's electronic evidence that you were at this hotel, that you were at this gas station. And it makes it very hard to refute in court. And then when you, oh, go ahead, Bobby. No, we're just, I mean, also too, you know, you know, artists themselves, you know, and the environments they come from, they pride themselves in not snitching. And most of the time when you're reading these indictments, there's somebody cooperating. There's a CI involved. So um, I mean, can I tell you something? It, can yeah. I tell you something? It's yeah. not most of the time these days. It's yeah. all the time. What do you mean? What do you mean by when that? You're that dealing with these multi like co-conspirator indictments, right? Like Where Casanova, like Young Thug and Gunna. 
name them all, Lisa, that have been through this. But when you're dealing with those types of situations, we have 17, 19 people on an indictment and the government has all of this information. I get Ralph's point. Yeah, a lot comes from like surveillance or what have you, but somebody's got to be there to interpret all 100%. That, right? And somebody's, somebody's got to be there to close the door on perspective defenses that we may be able to come with. Like, yeah, you're seeing one thing, but actually what was happening was this. They're right. working with someone to really break down what was going on. And like I'm saying, Bobby, I didn't mean to cut you No, 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 no. Yeah, it's not most of the time. It's, it's essentially these days all of the time. Even, even with Young Thug, Young Thug speaks with a certain dialect and um, cadence. If you're not from the South or if you're not really, he, it, it takes you 20, 30 times to really interpret, interpret it. <laughs> for the DA <laughs> to really understand lyric for lyric, when she yeah. perceives of what's yeah. happening, there has right. to be somebody from the inside Good breaking stuff. this stuff, uh, allegedly stuff. breaking this stuff down. Well, you know what? And that's that's how we do it, right? That's how exactly how we do it. We take a low-level member and flip that person, and then you just work on them, and that's how you infiltrate the gang. Or, you know, it's it's not just rappers. I mean, uh, th that's how the entire Italian... That's, that's Investigations 101? Yeah. You flip, this, you flip a, uh, a soldier, or you flip a young kid... Uh, you catch him doing something, and that's the entire mafia was taken down that way. Okay, we're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You dig? Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about the criminalization of hip-hop, or is there just a lot of crime being committed? We're seeing these high-profile cases. We're talking about it with our amazing panel. Joining me, Ralph Salento. He's a former NYPD Lieutenant Commander of Detectives, and he's also a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Ralph, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense attorney and a managing partner of Hamilton Clark LLP. Phil, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Bobby Fisher. He's a VP of A&R at Empire Records. Bobby, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Bobby, how hard is it for artists, especially new artists, to, to separate themselves from people that might be involved, still be involved in, in gang activity on the streets? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's extremely hard for artists who comes from environments where you know, potentially there's, there's gang activity. These are the, the guys and, you know, potential family members you grew up with your whole life. You know, you know, artists pride themselves in, in keeping that authenticity, knowing where you come from, getting that stamp of approval from your neighborhood or from the city that you're from. And you don't want to be labeled as, you know, the old school word in the nineties, the sellout, or, you know, the guys that, that forgot yeah. about our people. And, right. um, you know, what artists tend to do, which they've been doing since the days of time, is to make sure they keep the crew okay. I, my crew is always down with me, my day ones. Well, your day ones might be snitch ones. So you just have to be careful. Or they could be corrupt ones, you know, the ones that corrupted your your whole brand from the beginning. You don't even know it. So you just have to be careful for an artist that's coming up because you got people at your crew that might not even be equipped to even handle your, your music business aspirations. So they want to prove it up to you that they can do other things and it can be de detrimental to what you have going on. Phil, in, ter in terms of people protecting themselves, in terms of the associations, is it seems in some of these federal cases, like the association itself can be can can put you under the uh, in the crosshairs of the law. 
Yes. And it can put you at trial. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I've seen it. I, I've lived it. Uh, there was a trial we tried in uh, front of Judge Rakoff uh, in the Southern District of New York last year, April of 21. And, and that case had all of these undertones, right? Like it was legitimately text messages that were taken out of context. It was affiliations that client had at one time, but that he legit had been in the process of relieving himself from. But because of those affiliations, some misinterpretations within the text messages, as my co-counsel in that matter was always so fond of saying, you could make a federal case out of anything, right? So that's why they always say, don't make a federal case out of it, right? And those affiliations can at times help the federal government make a case where there wasn't one, particularly if our you know, focus here in this show is with respect to the rappers, right? They, in many respects, are always implicitly assumed to be the bankrollers of whatever organization is going on, right? In terms of whether there's any money laundering type issues or in terms of how is the gang able within any of these videos or within what's being seen on social media to live the way in which they're living. The presumption is, well, it must be, you know, Casanova's money. The presumption is it must be such and such as money that is financing the ability of this gang to still continue forth and basically have more power because they have more resources coming in from the hip hop. So these affiliations are very dangerous for artists. And typically by the time they're talking to me or my law partners, it's a little bit too late because we're talking about how those affiliations have led to whatever indictment we're now about to be in the process of trying to fight. Ralph, what about, but at the same token, by the same token, there still are crimes that are being committed, like the like the murder in, Atl- in Atlanta, there's, or illegal gun use or, or things like that, correct? Absolutely, it's very, very tough to cut those ties. I've heard everything that Bobby said, and I agree with it. I hear everything that Phil says. I agree with it. It's very, very tough to cut those ties. And if you if you are involved in a murder or you know about a murder, you conspired to commit a murder, that doesn't just go away. Irrespective of your newfound love of the law, let's say, and your your uh, your superstar rap status, uh, something that you were involved in seven or eight years ago doesn't go away, unfortunately. And in today's world of technology, those there's uh, electronic stamps of everything that you've done. You leave a footprint everywhere. People are always informing on you. Uh, and so it does, you have to be very, very careful about the company you keep. Now, uh, just referencing what Bobby was saying, it is very, very hard, I'm sure, for these guys to walk away from the only crew that, he's, that they've known their whole lives, irrespective exactly. of whatever they've done. But the reality is, I'm sorry to say, that would be the best course of action for them. No, and it can end up costing them because, because Bobby, even if they're clear to charges, there's all you know. The, and artists make so much of their money now through through these live shows and through touring. There's tour. We've right. seen artists, we've seen hip hop artists banned from certain venues because yeah. of alleged, in some cases, just mere allegations of ties. Oh right. no, sponsorship yeah. deals. Yeah, absolutely. I think even for a lot of our New York artists to prove to themselves in law enforcement that they're able to do shows, you know, you have to have an open communication because it's not, you know, the rapper will say, well, nothing's happening at my shows. Yeah, that might be in fact, but it's not about you. It's about little Jimmy and Tommy, who's a concert goer, who has nothing to do with what's going on. God forbid something happened. They get hurt. It's a liability. So, I, I we, artists have to understand is that I, we call it keeping our face card clean. Like, make sure that you keep good company. You you keep the right 
professional people around you to prevent these situations from happening. It might not happen to you. It could be your entourage that can get you in situations where it could prevent you from earning a living doing public shows. It could it could end up costing you. And Phil, just um, in ter- in terms of these RICO cases, they no no bail, right? And and a lot of them. And then also the government can take away what they they've earned if they're found guilty. Like they take away their. How, how can they do that? Yeah, you're, you're talking about the forfeiture provisions. I mean, right. look, with respect to bail on, on these matters where you're dealing with all of this, you know, generally gang violence with which, you know, these RICO indictments are underpinned by, you know, particularly at the federal level, there's always a presumption of detention, right? So it's not to say that like bail is impossible, but at times it can be next to impossible. We have to be clear with clients about that just because no judge is going to put themselves on the hook being the person that let someone out who there was a presumption set by Congress is a danger to the community. So when you do get caught up in these types of things, you know, you got to be prepared to potentially sit up for a while, while either the matter can be mitigated and negotiated and or taken to trial and whatever result comes from there, it comes from there. But yeah, in many respects, you're just kind of sitting up into Bobby's point, And we've represented a number of artists. It can be to the extent you're going to sit up for a while. The difference between when Tupac was in jail and now is that everybody has access to be putting themselves out there. So the next person is always coming like this. Right. You're now in jail. The person who's waiting for you to move out the way can now quickly rise up. That's right. the one. And then with respect to the forfeiture provisions, you're absolutely right. You know, you're coming out and whatever little house you bought for yourself, you know, up in Westchester or, you know, whatever cars you bought or the things that you were busy, you know, kind of just, let's be frank, stunting with online, Right. Those are the kinds of things that the government's coming after, right? The government wants that money and the government doesn't want you to be able to live off the fruits of those proceeds. So everything that you're out there doing and everything that you're out there trying to show, you're basically just showing the government what you have to make it easier for them to take it later. Absolutely. Uh, Ralph, Ralph, final word on this. Do you see this? Do you, do you see this continuing? What do you see coming ahead? Because you, you gave us a view from the back, you know, from the past up to here. What do you see happening Towards the future, do you think there's going to be we're going to see more cases like this? Do you I th- think that the federal government is a hammer in search of a nail, always. Uh, and I think that these young rappers coming up have to use better judgment. I understand about uh, YouTube clicks. I understand about everything. Uh, they have to use better judgment. You can't pose on camera with actual guns. You can't pose on camera with drugs. I mean, you're, you're inviting people to target you is really what you're doing. Right. So you have to find a line between credibility and self-promotion and smarts. Yeah, I, I think even Bobby would agree with me. You have to be smarter about what you're doing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just to add on to that, I think the typical artist nowadays who comes from these backgrounds, one, in the words of Boosie, uh, Boosie uh, our legendary Louisiana artist, move from your neighborhood, one. move Actually move a state or two over if you can. You know. <laughs> Keep yourself out so of trouble. It's not an afternoon drive. <laughs> no, I mean, no, it shouldn't be. I think you should move. I think, you know, most of the times that we're starting to see. Once these, you do move across state lines, be careful what you Because do, you can get yourself in even more federal. trouble. Yeah. All right, you put your federal system. charges. Yeah. All right, guys, listen, so there's a lot to this, but um, we're out of time. I want to thank you all for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Ralph Salento, great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank Bill you, Hamilton. Lisa. 
Thank you for making time for us. We appreciate it. Bobby Fisher, thank you for bringing us your uh, inside and unique perspective on everything. We really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.